Thank God for what He's doing. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I want to finish this series I started two weeks ago because I just the Spirit was just burning within my heart and I had to minister this message to you about ending the year off right, starting the new year off fresh. How many are ready for that? Amen. How many know it's coming? Well, one of the things we've been speaking about is getting our conscience clear, getting our consciences healed. You know, I read one time that there's, there's, any, there's nothing worse than a sick conscience. And our conscience can be sick for two different reasons. It's because we're not sense enough, sensitive enough to w- what we're doing wrong. And the other reason is we're not sensitive enough to the forgiveness of God. So many people, I know when we first started here just a few years ago in Pineville, I'd announce that we're going to have the Lord's Supper and that would be our lowest crowd because so many people thought, I'm unworthy to take it so I won't even go to church that night. And when I would announce we're having communion, that would be some of our lowest services because some people thought, you know, I'm not worthy to take of it. And so how many know you've got to be sensitive and you've got to, your conscience has to be sure that the blood of Jesus Christ has forgiven you and cleansed you from all unrighteousness. Amen? Aren't you glad you can be free from that? We read in 2 Corinthians 1, 12, you don't have to look at it. It says, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience. Somebody asked a little boy one time and says, what does the word conscience mean to you? He said, it means I'm going to tell mommy what I did before my sister does. <laughs> But aren't you glad that you can go and tell God, amen, and you can just leave it there and you can just know that your sins are forgiven and is washed. Your conscience is free. Amen. You know, I read something that Van Gogh, and I gave you some points last week in your uh, bulletin, but I read Van Gogh said, when something inside of you, a voice is telling you, you cannot paint, then paint with all you've got and keep on until that voice is silenced. And I read that and I thought, that's what I want to tell you for this new year. Whatever voice has told you, you cannot, you will not, and you, what you will not do for this coming year or for this year, you just keep doing it. You keep pressing on and you keep believing God that no matter what the voices that you have heard told you that you're not and you will not have and you will not accomplish, you just know in the authority of the name of Jesus that He has raised you up to triumph. You've been born again to walk in the victory of Christ Jesus. And don't allow any voices of the enemy or voices of man or anyone else because the fear of man is a snare. And God wants to free us and His people from worrying about what people say or what people do and just know that if I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus, I I am just as accepted as Christ is in the eyes of God. And I will not allow these voices to deter me and tell me that I cannot just because maybe this year you might have gone through a divorce. You might be feeling pain in the inside that the Christmas you're giving to your children is not the Christmas you desire to and your heart is hurting on the inside of you. Whatever it may be on the inside of you that I want you to know that no matter what the voice is telling you that you cannot, you will never be, you will never have, that you, will do, you do not deserve a better lifestyle, a better mate, or whatever, a better job, or whatever it may be. You stop listening to that voice and you just keep believing God. I'm going forward. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Amen? But if we've been learning about conscience and we're going to see some things today because if we'll allow us, this, we'll live a life below the standards of what God wants us to live, and we won't reap the result of living a life that's pleasing to Him. And how many know we all have to live with ourselves? And there's a lot of people who look in the mirror and say, I don't like what I see. I don't like who I am. And God wants to change that. 
But with the society we live in, they just encourage us to put a mask on just to be determined to be something else to somebody else and do what we want to. It's kind of like these two ladies who decided they're going to they're gonna go visit a friend who lived 55 miles out of the city. And so they got to this friend's house out in the country and they spent the day visiting. They were having a good time. And when it came to leave, time to leave, they went out to the car and the door was locked and she realized her keys were on the inside. So she went back into the house and called her husband and said, I, you know, the door's locked. We don't have any keys. You've got a spare key. Could you come and please open the door for us? And so the husband fussed. And how many know husbands don't fuss at that, do we? The husband fussed and, and started heading over there. And then when they were walking around the car, uh, the other lady opened the back door and says, oh, look, the back door's open. And she goes, oh, no. So ran back in the house to call him and say, hey, we, the door was open. We don't need you to come. But he had already left. So she went over there and stood a while, went to that door, locked it. <laughs> and the friend says, what you doing? What any red, any red blood American would do. <laughs> I don't want to die today. But, <laughs> but how many of you know that when we don't operate according to our conscience, that it just causes us to do things and go places that we do not want to go. Amen. We, I, I shared with you that uh, somebody said that a clear conscience is the softest pillow, but somebody else says conscience keeps more people awake than coffee. You know, is this something you see in some of these movies? Somebody will turn and face the wall and they, they can't even go to sleep because their conscience is hurting them. Someone else said conscience is like a baby. It has to go to sleep before you can. Huh. Something to think about, huh? 1 John 3.19, we know that we are of truth and we and assure our hearts before Him. Verse 21 says, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence. Everybody say confidence. Confidence towards God. You know, one of the things that Daniel and David and so many that you could see had was they had confidence before the worst enemies. Even enemies, listen to this, even enemies that no one else had stood before. They had the confidence to stand alone, and they had the confidence to go even without armor or anything else. Why? Because their conscience didn't condemn us. When our conscience doesn't condemn us, we can stand before the giants, we can stand before the enemy. The Bible talks about we have a warfare that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, wicked spirits in high places. And when our heart doesn't condemn us, then we can go before the God, God of our fathers and we can believe that in the name of Jesus, no matter what the enemy is trying to do against us, I have this confidence towards God that it is well with my soul, that my mind and my heart is being renewed by the power of the Word of God. And no matter what the devil would try to throw in my face, he's not going to cause me to stop believing. Believing God for that which I've asked Him for. Amen. Someone said, it's not who you are that holds you back. It's who you think you're not. And there's so many people that do not believe that they're holy. That they're the righteousness of God. There's a lot of people who don't even believe and accept that they're forgiven. How can God forgive me of that? But you know, the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel that He passed by and He saw this baby that was born and left in His own blood. It was just slaying there in its own blood. It seemed like it had no future. It was getting ready to be given out or brought outside just to be left to die. 
But the Lord, in His mercy, revealed Himself as that compassionate God who walks by and says, I saw you in your blood. I saw you in your own filth. I saw you when nobody else wanted you and it seemed like there was no future for you and you were helpless and you were invalid and there was no way you would be able to save yourself. I saw you in that condition and I decided I'm not only going to save you and rescue you, but I'm going to put a crown upon your head. I'm going to put diamonds. I'm going to put emeralds. I'm going to dress you better than the dressing of the king or the queen because you will be called my son and you will be called my daughter. And I will have compassion on you and I will heal you. And that's the compassion and loving kindness of God today. That no matter what state you might have been born in or where you find yourself today, don't let the enemy tell you and don't let your conscience tell you that you are not loved, that you cannot be forgiven for whatever you've done. Today, you can be forgiven of any sin, no matter what it's done. Even when they brought the adulteress before Jesus and said, Isn't, doesn't the law say we must kill him? He saved her and said, let her go. Let the ones without sin first cast the stone. So I just praise God that we can have a conscience no matter what we were yesterday or in the times in the years past. Today we stand here complete, holy, pure, white as snow. That if we with the trumpet would sound right now, how many be ready to go? And run in those gates and say, Jesus, I'm ready. Amen. Now I want to show you something in Acts chapter 25. Look with me in the book of Acts chapter 25. Because so many people, well, you just don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. If you knew me, so many people say you wouldn't even want to speak to me. You wouldn't even want to be in my presence. But Jesus will. And I want you to see something here about confidence and conscience. In Acts chapter 25, verse 9, Paul is before the court. In Acts chapter 25, verse 9, it says, Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? Paul answered and said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal and I ought to be tried. Where I ought to be tried. Listen to what he says. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. If then I am a wrongdoer, listen to what Paul says, if I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if no one can hand me over to them, I appeal to Caesar. Now how many know Paul is standing up and he's saying, I've done no wrong to no man. How many know that Paul killed Christians? How many know not Paul, but Saul killed Christians? Saul separated families. Saul arrested believers, Jew and Gentile, and threw them in the court. Saul received the, uh, the responsibility of the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr in the, New Test- in, the, in, the, in the book of Acts. How many of you know that Paul, Saul did all of these things, but Paul didn't? Paul says, I stand not condemned by man. If you can find anything against me, then I deserve to die. How many know that's the type of confidence we have to have before Satan? Before cancer, before hell. Devil, if you have a reason to kill me, you go right ahead. But Satan and the authority of the name of Jesus, if I have done no wrong, then you cannot touch me. There's a hedge of the blood of Jesus Christ around me. And I'll stand before Satan and I'll stand before all the demons of hell washed and covered in the blood of Jesus. Because if my God is for me, who and what can be against me? 
Whatever the devil is trying to bring against you, whatever wrongdoing the devil is trying to blame you of, you look him right in the face and you say, you listen to me, you accuser of the brethren. You listen to me, you father of lies. You listen to me, you who's trying to condemn me and tear me down and wear me out. You listen to me very well. I am a good parent. I am a good man of God. I am a good woman of God. I am a son and a daughter that my father loves. And no matter what you try to bring up of my past, I tell you right now that if I am guilty of any of those things, you have the right to touch me. But because I am free by the blood of Christ, just get out of my sight because I do not belong to you. I belong to Christ who has freed me. I stand in your presence. If I'm wrong, then I deserve to die. But if I am not wrong, there is no way you can kill me. There's no way you can touch me. I am a child of the Most High God. Now look with me again with Paul, Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. Paul didn't let his past bother him. Don't let your past bother you. Acts chapter 23, verse 1. Here he, is, here he is again before the council. How many know men would love to try to take you down? It says in Acts chapter 23, verse 1, Paul, looking intently at the council. He wasn't looking at the floor. He wasn't willing his thumbs. He wasn't scared to look at them. Looking intently at the council said, Brothers, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience. Before God up to this day. I have lived before God with a perfectly good conscience up to this day. Saul might have killed and arrested the believers. But that Saul's dead. I'm Paul and I'm born again. You hear me, church? Now look at chapter 24. Let me give you another scripture. Chapter 24, verse 16. How many of Paul had such revelation? The reason he could receive so much revelation is because he had a clear conscience. In Acts chapter 24, verse 16, In view of all this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before man. How many of you know Paul is exhorting us you want to have the confidence and you want to have the courage to receive the revelation of God, even as visitations into the third heaven. If you want to see things that others have not seen and go, where others have not gone and walk with Christ in a way that is not normal to most Christians, one of those ways is to have a blameless conscience. You can fill up with knowledge all you want to, but if your conscience isn't clear, you won't have the confidence to do what God shows you to do. Amen. This man was a killer. I love what this person said. It took me a long time not to judge myself through someone else's eyes. You want to know the fountain of youth? I just told it to you. You want to know the secret of blessing to your bones, the marrow of your bones, and your health? I learned to quit judging myself through other people's eyes. Your mother, your father might have told you, you never amount to nothing. I'm not judging myself. Through your eyes. I'm judging myself through the eyes of my Redeemer. You'll never amount to nothing. You'll never do anything in your life. You've done, went through two or three marriages. You've, you've tore your kids up. You're a total failure. I am tired from this day forward. Allowing you to affect my conscience. 
to judge myself and live according to what you see me and how you see me or even how the enemy sees me. But because I belong to Christ, I will only allow what I see through the eyes of Christ to be my judgment. And you know what Jesus says? You're clean and you're pure and you're forgiven. Can I hear an amen, church? That's what the Word of God says. Amen? As long as your conscience is your friend, never mind your enemies. As long as your conscience is your friend. Three, three Hebrew children. If you don't bow, you will burn. Our conscience doesn't bother us, so we ain't afraid of you. Did you hear what they're saying? If my conscience doesn't condemn me, God is He who judged, and God shall rescue me. It is God that shall rescue me. Don't you know they're going to tear you down? It is God that justifies. Yea, it is God that condemneth. It is God who is my strong tower. Who can bring me down? Amen. Who are my enemies when my conscience is clear before God? Don't live down to the expectations. Go out there and do something remarkable. Can I hear an amen? Now, I shared with you in Hebrews 10, 12 through 23. We've read that before. And 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2 about a seared conscience. But today, look with me in Daniel chapter 4 as I finish this series and we get ready for next week and celebrating the birth of Christ. I want you to see in Daniel chapter 4. And you know, I think the best ministers are those who have been through it. Some of the best preachers in the prisons are ex-prisoners. Some of the best marriage counselors are those who have been through divorce. Some of the best businessmen are those who have failed. So if I'd want to learn from somebody how to keep my conscience and not lose it, I'd like to talk to somebody who because of their steered conscience lost it all, but because of the goodness of God, how they got it back, wouldn't you? And I want you to look with me in Daniel chapter 4. I read to you last week in Job 33, 13 through 30. I read to you about dreams and visions to rescue you and keep you from falling. Well, here's a guy who had a dream. Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. How many know there's a warning right there? When everything's going good, it's not a time to stop praying. It's the time to start praying. I had a dream that made me afraid as I was lying in my bed. And the images and the visions that passed through my mind terrified me. And I read to you last week in Job that God will give you visions and dreams to warn us. And many of us have been warned and he'll continue to do that. Now look with me in verse 19. Then Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said to Daniel, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. But Daniel answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies. How many know he should, have start sh- he, started, he should have started shaking right there? If your dream should have only applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beast of the field and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. Look what it says in verse 22. It is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth. 
And that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. Yet leave the stump with his roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beast of the field until seven periods or seven years of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king, that you be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beast of the field and you be given grass to eat like the cattle. And it goes on with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize, listen now, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over all the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that, it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize, after you gain your conscience back, after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Verse 27. Therefore, O king, listen to this now. May my advice be pleasing to you. Listen now. Break away from your sins. Break away from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquity by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be prolonging of your prosperity. Look at verse 28. How many know a word like that? How many know it would have woke me up? But look what happens. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Look at verse 29. Twelve months later. Say with me, twelve months later. How many know God is merciful? Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof. How do you know David walked on the roof too? Better stay off your roof. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as my royal residency by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. And it says you will be driven from the fields until you recognize that the Most High God is ruler over all the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind, began eating grass like the cattle and his body was drenched with dew of heavens and his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nail like bird claws. But verse 34, but at the end of that period, how did Nebuchadnezzar gain it back? Listen, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. And my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion, not my dominion, but His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. But He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What have you done? And at that time... My reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor was restored to me for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished. 
I was reestablished in my sovereignty as surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, now, I Nebuchadnezzar praise, I exalt, and I honor the King of Heaven, for all of His works are true, and His ways are just. And let me tell you, He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Woo! Boy, that's a message for America. I'll do what I want to. I'll go to church when I want to go to church. And God is saying, I'm telling you and I'm telling you. In all your ways, acknowledge me and I'll direct your path and it shall all lead to prosperity. Don't you live a life telling me what you're going to do, but you live a life in submission to me and I'll bring you through. And this lifestyle and this area that we live in and the things that people say, I'll do what I don't even have to seek God whether I go to church or not. I don't have to seek God whether I need to go on Sunday night or Wednesday night. I don't have to pray. You know, everything's going so good. But let Nebuchadnezzar, if he could be here today, he'd be preaching better than any other preacher. He says, let me tell you what it's like when you're out and you lose your mind and you're running around with eagle's feathers and you've grown claws and everybody looks at you. Once you had the best robes and you lived in the palace and now you're living like an animal and your mind and everything has left you. Let me tell you, don't go there. God gave him a year after the word of grace. He gave him a year of grace. Change your way or it will cost. But he didn't allow his conscience to be sensitive before God. He allowed his riches and he allowed his position and he allowed the things he had just to continue to beat his conscience down to where he didn't have to have a conscience before God or man anymore. And he stood upon the roof of his palace and says, I am the great one. I am the majestic one. And it cost them everything for seven years. But how many are thankful that we have a God who reestablishes? You may be here today. And you might have got into some things you never dreamed that you would get into. You might be here today. And there's a record on you that you wouldn't want nobody to know. And they don't have to know. You may be here today. You might have committed something that you've never committed in your life this last week or this year. And you thought, how did I get to that point? How could I just... Give my body as if it is nothing. How could I just allow those people to treat me that way and do those things? And your conscience was quieted as you went into the valley of death. But there's a shepherd with a rod and staff that have come and take that precious sheep and say, I'll take you and reestablish you. And everything that was taken from you, I'm able to give it back. And I'm able to give it back to you better than you've ever had it before. Because I know to whom much is forgiven, much is love. And you might have got caught up in yourself and in your things and in your life. But when it came to it, you lift up your face. And once you honored and exalted me again, I knew you were on your way back to me. Don't forget it is I, the God of the covenant, give you the power to get riches. It is I that covers you. And I am the God over the nations and the land. Amen. We don't have time to go there, but let me just tell you. I started thinking, and you can read about it in Genesis chapter 19. Everybody knows the story of Lot. 
And I read there that it says that Lot was a gatekeeper in Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, Lot was a ruler. He became a ruler in Sodom and Gomorrah. But I started thinking, I've never read this, but it dawned on me. I know when Lot's conscience started going down to where he could adapt and live freely along homosexuals. How he could live and judge in a place condemned by sin. And it was the day that Abraham gave him his choice. The good place or the desert place. And as he walked away from Abraham who took him in the first place, and if it wasn't for Abraham, he would have never had anything anyway. And the more he walked away from Abraham, the more his conscience was seared. The more his conscience was darkened. He didn't consider the one who brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees. He didn't consider that it was Abraham who would walk with God and do the covenant and even walked in blood with God. He didn't consider that it was Abraham who had saved him before. It was Abraham because of the blessing of God on Abraham that opened the door for him to even be blessed. As he walked away from the person who impacted him the most, the more his conscience got seared to where sin wasn't even called sin anymore. And his conscience got so seared, this man of righteousness, is that when the angels came and he brought them in the home and the men wanted to have homosexual relationships with the angels, Lot opened the door and said, Brothers! Brothers! Your homosexual agenda, lesbian and gay, you humanistic agenda, Brothers! Don't touch these men, but here's my two virgin daughters. A man of righteousness stooping to that level. How could a man fall like that? How could a minister end up being a child molester? How could uh, uh, this happen and that happen? How could all of these things happen? It's look from where you have fallen. Revelations chapter 3. As you walk away from God and you walk away from the truth, that conscience starts getting seared. And not only am I willing to give up my conscience, I'm also willing to give up my daughters and my children. I end up losing my wife, and then I end up becoming a drunkard and starting an enemy race with my own daughters. Righteous Lot. And you can read in the book of Peter, it says that he was weakened, he was distressed, and he was wearied. By those around him. And he fell to their level of life. The more we listen to dirty jokes, the more our consciences are seared. The more we watch things on TV, the more our consciences are seared. The more we look at stuff on the internet, the more our consciences are seared. And it may not matter to us because I know that nobody sees but the God above sees all things and so I can quiet my conscience that nobody sees me taking a little bit doing this or doing that nobody sees it so I have no reason to feel bad about it but that every time I do it I'm cutting my cable shorter and shorter 
and the sparks are getting higher and higher. And sooner or later, your sin will find you out. And sooner or later, what started off as just a spark will burn down the home. Until we see where we have fallen, and like Nebuchadnezzar, fall on our faces and say, God, I have been such a fool. I've allowed her words to entice me. I allowed my pride to control me. I allow this nation and the, the rituals and the culture of our today make me and cause me to do things that I knew I'm not supposed to do. But because everybody else is doing it, I will go along with the crowd. That makes me no different than Lot. Because now, who I used to call the heathen, I now call brothers. Let me end in Romans chapter 1. Are you looking at this? Let me read something to you that I found. There's a book called Hitler's Cross that gives chilling details about training of the dreaded SS troops in Nazi Germany. The head of the SS was Henrik Himmler, who was faced with the problem of how to take decent young German men and deaden their consciences so that they would be willing to perform ghastly deeds of cruelty. Both Hitler and Himmler believed that each of the SS troops had to perform some deed that violated their conscience and sense of decency. Only when they did what others found to be total, totally outrageous and horrible, the conscience had to be deadened through the acts of barbarism and would serve the dual purpose of cutting the recruit off from his ties, his family, his friends, and of bondage him to new peers and his leader. The break would be so complete that he would never go back. An act of torture or murder would unite him with blood brothers who had crossed the same line, felt the same numbness, and swore to themselves to uphold the same cause. The Nazis proved that ordinary people if controlled with rigid discipline and the power of mass psychology, can be induced to carry out the most brutal, destructive crime a human mind can deceive, devise. How many know last week two churches were attacked and people were killed? Listen to this. The troops could say with Hermann Goering, I have no conscience. Adolf Hitler is my conscience. And we find a world today Without saying it, people are saying, I have no conscience. Satan is my conscience. The father of all lies is my conscience. Now I want to read Romans chapter 1 that is one of the strongest chapters, I believe, in the New Testament for us believers, for me. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, we're seeing the same thing here that the Holy Spirit through Paul is warning us about. And this is my end, so a number of people have already got up and left. God bless them, but just stay till it's over, please. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, listen to this, of who suppress the truth. Who suppress the truth. 
Oh, let's cause a church division and let's sue somebody. Is that what the Word says to do? Let's find out something on somebody and let's make sure everybody knows about it and let's bring them down. Who suppress the truth. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. I don't have to forgive or love them. Who suppress the truth. Every time I suppress the truth, I yield to ungodliness. Verse 19 says, because that which is known about God is evident within them. We've got the Spirit of God who warns us. For God made it evident to them. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Rosie O'Donnell is able to say on TV, don't talk about Islam if you can't talk about Christians. They can put us in the same groups. But there is a difference in the saints compared to the heathen. There's a difference between one who accepts and believes in Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, as the only way to heaven, as another one who just believes he was a prophet or a good person. It says, His eternal power and His divine nature has been made clearly seen and understood through all that has been made so that they are without excuse. Look at verse 21. For even though they knew God... They did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became vain and empty in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And listen to this. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image and the form of corruptible man, birds, animals, and creatures. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over, go ahead, in their lust of their heart to impurity and to their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God. And that's what I'm preaching to you today. People don't want to hear the truth today. They want to hear a a good motivational speaker who tells them, everybody's welcome. Don't worry about who you are, what you're doing. Just come and let me make you feel good. But they despise the truth of God for a lie because the wages of sin is still death. And worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. They are worshiping trees today. They are worshiping whales today. They are worshiping birds that are too left and they want to save them. And they are worshiping these creatures because it's more important to save the creatures than that which was created in the image of God. Let's kill the babies but save the owls. Let's suck them to pieces and throw those embryos out. But don't touch the wolf. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged their natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing decent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. I don't hear this on TV. Men with men and receive the due penalty of their sin. Verse 28. 
And just as they did not see it fit, oh, that don't fit in my lifestyle. Be a Christian. Serve Jesus. Read the Bible. Lose some friends. Get uninvited to family functions. That don't fit my lifestyle. So just as they did not see it fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to depraved minds to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed. Wait a minute. That's not big sins right there. Wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malap, and they all are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, arrogant, boastful, and we studied this word last week, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And although they know the ardence of God, that that those who practice such things are worthy of death. Listen to this. They don't only do them, but they also give a hearty approval to those who practice such things also. I'm a singer. And I've been known as a singer for many years. Now I want to come open. I'm also homosexual. And everybody just claps that he was able to come honest and say, I'm a backstreet boy. I'm a gay. Everybody, oh, they're coming out. They're being honest. Let's support them. God is saying don't you dare approve of what I disapprove of. Don't you dare fit in society even if it cost you your life. Don't you become a teacher for itching ears. A testimony of peace, peace. But you continue to say as Paul, you do such things, your eternity will be an eternity of hell. You hear me, church? You say, you say we're supposed to be ending the year off right. This is ending the year off right. I don't want a visitation of revival. I want a habitation of God. I have changed to where, Lord, I'm not asking for revival. I said, I want a habitation. Because you inhabit in the praises of the holy lifestyle of your people. And the things I have to change and break in my life. And I know that there are people here to this morning. Because you tell me week after week. Pastor, keep preaching the truth. Keep preaching the truth. And as you have seen a shift. And you've seen some come. And you have seen some go. God is bringing people who are hungry enough to say. If you've got to dig in there. And you've got to take this out. And you've got to take that out. And I, if I've got to go through electric shock. I want to get out of living like a beast. And I want to live like a son. And a daughter of the living God. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we just need something and somebody to wake us up. And you're going to leave from this place and I pray that you're going to become a voice that is able to shake and wake a generation up. It's just giving in and holding back 
It's okay. If you tell them it's okay, if you tell them it's okay, and they die in their sin, their blood would be recorded in your hands for not warning the wicked of their evil ways. Ezekiel chapter 2. Oh my. But if you warn the wicked of their wickedness and you save them, you save yourself. And that's what society needs. Let me give you the four things Nebuchadnezzar did. Let me give you the four things to end that Peter, Paul is saying to do here. Number one, it says in verse 21, they knew God, but they did not honor Him. Write down, number one, if I want to keep my conscience clear, I've got to live a life honoring God. Honoring God, honoring my parents, honoring those in authority, honoring the laws of the land. If I want a clear conscience, I've got to honor First of all, I've got to honor God. I've got to honor Him with my life. I've got to honor Him with my worship. Amen? Number two, how many of the Bible says we even, even says we honor God with our tithe? Number two, it's also in verse 21, thanksgiving. Give thanks or thanksgiving. This is a secret. That Nebuchadnezzar taught us here that we've got to know. Do you know what the word thanksgiving means there in the Greek? It means to come in agreement with heaven. Listen to this. I know it's late, but I've done preached hell and fire and brimstone and you're going to go out and say it. But listen, let me tell you what thanksgiving is. The word in Greek means to get in agreement with heaven and acknowledge everything I've got is come from you. Not of my works, not of who I am. God only wants to be praised and acknowledged for who you are and what you've got. Don't you touch my glory. Don't you claim it's because of your wisdom and because of this and that. You are who you are because I rescued you. Well, I am a lawyer because I have an IQ of such and such and this and that. Praise God. But when you were six years old and you were on a bicycle and that truck almost ran over you and God saved your life, you're a liar today. I mean, you're a, not a liar. You're a lawyer today, not because of your IQ, but because God rested you at six years old on that bicycle. He says, Thanksgiving means you come in agreement that everything you are and everything you have, you wouldn't have it and you wouldn't be without me. Just don't stop Honoring and come in agreement that you have what you have just because of me. God is a jealous God. And He wants all the praise and glory. Number two, thanksgiving. Number three is in verse 25, keep the truth. Keep the truth. It says that they fell into sin because they rejected the truth and rejected the knowledge of God. God just doesn't fit in my lifestyle. Number four, it says in verse 28, We've got to acknowledge Him in all of our ways. Not depend on my own wisdom, my own knowledge, what I want to do. I have to depend upon God. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. In all His ways leads to blessing and prosperity. Listen, when I acknowledge God, it will lead to a healthy mental attitude, 
a grateful spirit, a clear conscience, and a heart full of love. And you know what type of person you call that? A happy person. A happy person. Why? I honor my God. I'm thankful to my Lord. I keep the truth. In every way I acknowledge Him. I'm blessed. My conscience is clear. That's victory. And that's the type of believer is going to take in 08. Whatever we face, whatever comes, our consciences are settled in 07 so we can kill the giants arising in 08. 